Welcome to Rhythm of Life. I'm Steve Ordauer. Hailed by NPR as one of America's defining voices of freedom and peace, Mavis Staples is an iconic artist whose impact on culture continues to reverberate. She's both a blues and a rock and roll hall of famer, a civil rights icon, a Grammy Award winner, and a chart-topping soul gospel R&B pioneer. She marched with Dr. King, performed at John F. Kennedy's inauguration, and sang in Barack Obama's White House. She's collaborated with a wide array of notable artists such as Prince, Bob Dylan, and Ry Cooter. We discuss some of these collaborations along with the rest of her illustrious career, starting out with her family as the staple singers, her father's distinctive guitar style, and her experience appearing several times on the groundbreaking gospel music television show, Jubilee Showcase. Mavis, I still have a vague memory of meeting your father backstage at the Chicago Gospel Music Festival. And I always wondered how you guys got your start. We began singing back in 1950. We lived at 506 East 33rd Street. Everybody lived on 33rd Street. Sam Cooke, Lou Rawls, we called it the Dirty Thirties. Hmm. <laughs> and so Pops was singing with an all-male group, the Trumpet Jubilees. And these guys wouldn't come to rehearsal. Pops would go to rehearsal, he'd come home disgusted. He'd go another week, come home disgusted. Might be two or three guys there, you know. So this last time he went, came back home, he headed straight to the closet. And he pulled out a little guitar he had bought at the pawn shop. He told my Aunt Katie, we, his sister lived with us, Aunt Katie. He said, Katie, I'm going to sing with my children. And uh, he said, okay, well, <laughs> Pops, my mother worked nights and Pops worked days, so he kept us at night. And um, he got this little guitar and he called us children into the living room, set us on the floor in a circle. And he began to give us parts to sing that he and his sisters and brothers would sing down in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Pop said they would sing after supper every night and they'd go out on the gallery. And he said you would see people just coming from all around. Come, the yard would get full for listening to them sing, you know. And um, <clears throat> my Aunt Katie came through the living room one night. She said, shucks, y'all sound pretty good. I bet you did. I believe I want y'all to sing at my church. And uh, we went to Aunt Katie's church. Before I let you tell, before I tell you that though, I have to let you know that Pops had fourteen children in their family: seven boys and seven girls. Wow! And they had so many children, they ran out of names. <laughs> they got down to the last two, which was my uncle and Pops. So they named my uncle Sears, and they named Pops. Roebuck. You gotta be kidding me. They had a Sears Roebuck in the family. <laughs> wow. Because you know that Sears Roebuck catalog, well you wouldn't know, but I know the Sears Roebuck catalog was was, was popular down there mm-hmm. back then. That's all they had, you know, to order from and what. Well that makes sense because they were one of the few businesses that would extend credit to black people at that time and I always wondered how he got his name. So um, anyhow we went to Aunt Katie's church that Sunday. And we sang this song that Pops had taught us. He hadn't taught us but one song all the way through, you know. We sang that song, and the people liked us so much they clapped us back three times. Three times we had to sing that same song. And how old were you at this time? I was like nine years old then. Hmm. And um, 
Pop says, shucks, these people like us. We're going home and learn some more songs. And the rest is history. We've been going ever since. Yes, you have. It happened that Vivian Carter was in the audience. She was uh, the president of VJ Records. And she heard us. She wanted to put us on record. VJ Records, the record label from the 1950s, primarily out of Chicago, that specialized in blues, jazz, rhythm and blues, and rock and roll. And Pops told her then, he said, I don't know nothing about making those records. <laughs> so, and uh, he said, I don't know. I don't know nothing about it. I don't know if I want my children to be making records. I don't know anything about that. So he got books. He learned about it. This business of music. He went to school. And... Um, I think about, well, when I was about uh, 12, 13, that's when Pops decided we would go on and make a record. And the first record we made was for VJ Records, Uncloudy Day. Mm. Back then, we weren't allowed to do a whole album, like 12 songs. So there would be the Staple Singer singing four songs, Maceo Woods four songs, and the Spaniels four songs on this album. Well, Uncloudy Day took off. It took off, and it just, she said, Staples, this, this record is selling like an R&B. And we began getting letters from all over, everywhere. I was singing bass on this, this song. You know, we'd sing down in harmony. Oh, they tell me. So we knew that the people had bet their money that I was not a little girl. We were fooling. My brother was singing. And we'd sing the song down to it came to my party. And Purvis would ease in to the microphone like he was going to say the bass part. And the people would go, wow, I told you that wasn't no little girl. I told you. <laughs> they going through all that. I'd ease in. And then I would come, well, 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 oh, well, well. Well, oh, yes, so yes, they tell me. No, they tell yes, me no. So yes, ah, I got a home. Yes, so yes, got a home. Beyond the sky. Well, well, oh, yes, <laughs> the people. The, the disc jockeys would say, this is little 14-year-old Mavis Staples singing on Cloudy Day. People would not believe I was a little girl. I bet they didn't. I had to be either a man or a big fat lady. <laughs> so we would fool the people. You know, man, the place would go, wow. I bet it did. They would go, they just, because I was a little skinny girl. But I had a big voice. Yeah. And my voice actually come from my mother's side of the family. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, my mother and my grandmother had very strong voice. Her mother. And uh, my singing ability comes from Pop, because my mother, my mother, you don't want to hear my mother sing. You know, we were in the floor begging her, Mama, please, please stop, don't sing. Well, did you get any training when you were young? No, I never had any training. I just sing from ear. It's just my gift from God. God-given gift, you know. I, I, wherever Pops would play the guitar, I wouldn't know where to sing. And at one point in my life, I was a young lady. We were in New York and um, on a jazz festival. And I knew that New York had a lot of teachers, voice culture teachers, you know. 
So I asked Dizzy Gillespie, I said, uh, Dizzy, can you refer me to a voice teacher? You know, he had a fit. He started, he cursed. He said, you don't need that. You don't need it. You can, you're going to mess up. You don't need it. You know, you know, a lot of people say that if you get training or learn music, you know, people who can play instruments naturally, if they learn the music, it takes away from their 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 gift, you know, because mm. um, they, they, they're playing from feel and, and from ear. So I said, never mind. <laughs> never mind. It's all right. You know, and I just never had any voice lessons. So you were brought up in the church and... Um you know, and you got into singing because you were singing with your father and you sounded good and you were singing at church. All gospel up until what age? Oh, I'm still singing gospel. But you were exclusively gospel. Exclusively. And, and, and today, I consider myself a gospel singer. You know, a lot of people think that the staple singers crossed over. You know, our, our music, our songs crossed over to R&B. I'll take you there. I'll take you there. We're talking about taking you to heaven. It just had a beat where, where the kids jumped up and danced to it. You know, respect yourself. We sing inspirational songs. Now, I myself, I sang some secular L- CDs, LPs, back in the 60s. But uh, I wasn't singing them to go, you know, R&B. I just sang, I wanted to try my wings. I had been married. I was a young lady. I've been in love, I'm heartbroken. So I wanted to sing some of these songs, you know. And uh, I recorded House Is Not a Home. A chair is still a chair. Even when there's no one sitting there. learned to do without you. All of this was around my divorce, you know. And, um, but now the only, the only song that the staple singers have sang, which is secular, is Let's Do It Again. And that was for a movie score for the movie with Bill Cosby, um, Harry Belafonte, and Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. And Curtis Mayfield wrote that score. He wrote the song. And we, we couldn't get, when, when Curtis told Daddy his part, he said, now, Pops, this is your part. And he started saying, I like you, lady, so fine with your pretty hair. Pops said, Curtis, man, I'm not going to say that. Mm. He said, I'm a church man. I'm not going to say that. And Curtis begged him. He said, oh, Pops, please. He said, the Lord won't mind. He said, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'm sure he so would we pray. We wanted to hear our voices on the big screen. So we started begging Pops. And we begged him so until he finally came in. And uh, he sang, let's do it again. We went to the premiere, and all of the stars were there. You know, we were all sitting in the same section. And when the movie came on, this real pretty girl, Jan Kennedy, she walked across the screen. And uh, just as she walked across, Pops was saying, I like you, lady. <laughs> 
And everybody looked at Fox and he had this broad smile on his face, you know. So, uh, but actually, the staple singers, we have sang folk songs, mm -hmm. we sang uh, Blowing in the Wind, uh, The Weight, uh, For What It's Worth. uplifting and inspirational to people, you know, positive. was our message. When we weren't singing strictly church songs again, this is what we were singing. Positive, informative messages. went to his church, Pops called us to his room, we happened to be in Montgomery, Alabama. We were to sing that night at eight o'clock. And Pops called us to his room, he said, listen y'all, this man Martin is here, and he has a church here. I wanna to go to his church, I've been hearing him. Dr. King had a radio show, and Pops had been hearing it. He said, I wanna to go to his church, do you all wanna go? And we said, oh yeah, Daddy, we wanna go. We all went to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. The ushers ushered us in. Someone let Dr. King know we were in the service. And he said, the, we're glad to have Pop Staples and his daughters here. And uh, we hope you enjoy the service, you know. And uh, 11 o'clock service, when, when Dr. King finished the sermon, he would go to the front door to shake the worshipers' hands as we filed out. Well, my sisters and I shook his hand, and we walked on, and Pops <clears throat> stood there and talked with him for a while. He finally came on. We get back to the hotel. Pops told us again. He said, listen, you all, I like this man. I really like his message, and I think that if he can preach it, we can sing it. And we began writing freedom songs. We joined the movement. We started Our first song was March Up Freedom's Highway. That was for the march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. Oh, yeah. oh, 
Then we will, it's a long walk to D.C., but I got my walking shoes on. That was for the march to Washington. When will we be paid for the work we've done? Why am I treated so bad? Why am I treated so bad was Dr. King's favorite. He'd always tell Pops, now, Stape, you're going to sing my song tonight, right? Pops said, oh, yeah, doctor, we're going to sing your song. Why am I treated so bad? Could you speak to the relationship between gospel music and the civil rights movement? I mean, the churches were a main organizing apparatus of the movement, and gospel music was just part of the musical landscape. And churches were really the place where people shared a sense of community. I think, you know, I know gospel music played a huge part in the civil rights movement. It was about church. Dr. King was a minister. My latest CD is all of the civil rights songs. I decided to do that. The, the name of the CD is We'll Never Turn Back. And um, so I have all of the songs on, well, a lot of the songs that were sang during the movement. While we would march, we'd sing these songs. I'm on my way, freedom land. I'm on my way What a freedom land I'm on my way Freedom land I'm on my way Great God Almighty I'm on my way I asked my brother Oh, to come with me I asked my brother Oh, to come with me I asked my brother Come with me I'm on my way Great God Almighty I'm on my way I went to Congressman John Lewis in um, in Washington to his office to talk to him because I knew that he was one of Dr. King's right-hand men from the beginning. And so uh, he was so glad to see Vaughn and I, you know. He, I was surprised he still remembered us, you know. He was so happy to see us. And he started showing us pictures and of different times when we were together. And he said, and you know, Mavis, your father and your family, you all, your music kept us going, kept us inspired to keep on. It, it just, just, it was a soundtrack of the movement. Gospel songs, that's what those songs are. The songs that we were singing to. I ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. That's gospel, that's church. Yeah. <laughs>
very interesting because I'm really taken with the music from that traditional gospel sound and that's very distinct and unique and different from the more modern sounding gospel that we hear today and there's something about that genuineness of the traditional gospel that even resonates with people that are not particularly religious. Well you know it's it's, it's the old time religion it's the old time religion you know it's the sound of it the sound of it has substance, you know, and a core. should go into it. I don't like to. Oh, please do. The, the gospel music today, the songs that are written today, you know, see these, I, I even asked Pops one time when when I first heard um, some of the music, I won't call any names, but I said, Daddy, don't you think that he's making a mockery out of our Lord? Um, this, this young man was singing a so-called gospel song and he had salt and Pepper, in this video, barely dressed, kicking high, kicking, you know, and I said, that's, that's they're making a mockery out. Daddy said, wait a minute, Reyes. He said, now you can't, you can't expect them to get what you got. See, you, you can't expect them to be like you. Everything has to change. He said, uh, they, didn't, they didn't come up the way you did. He said, if you think about it, these kids today, even the R&B, the rappers and all of them, they came up off of disco. They didn't even come from the Temptations and Four Tops, you know. So um, he said, you can't expect them to have inside them what you have. You know, I said, well, didn't they grandmothers and somebody? He said, well, look at the grandmothers today. The grandmothers are 30 years old. 30 and 35 years old, you know, so I, uh, I, 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 I the, the music has, from that time, when I first heard it, it's gotten better. And these young people, they're rejoicing. They're, they're praising the Lord. You know, 
Um, so I can't say anything negative. I can't judge anyone, period. You know, but um, I just wish some of them could have gotten it the way myself and Aretha and Dion Warwick and all of mm -hmm. us, because we, we all come from the same church. You know, mm -hmm. but not not same church per se, but we came up on the same kind of religion, you sure, know, sure. and uh, we can talk to each other and know what each other are talking about, you know. Like, I, I be telling folk, you know, the best music I ever heard was when I was like seven, eight years old down in Mississippi with my grandmother. And Yvonne and I would stay down south, you know, because Pops would send us down there to go to school. He couldn't keep shoes on all of us, you know, so he'd send us there to help out. And um, we would go to church with my grandmother. We'd go to church maybe three times a week, but on Sundays. This is Jerusalem Baptist Church. This is church is what you call the little church up on the hill, little wooden church up on the hill. And um, we would walk for miles, and we'd get to church, and there was nothing but no instruments, no organ, no piano, no guitars, just the wooden floor, wooden benches, and they'd start singing and patting their feet and clapping their hands, and, man, that was the best sound I ever heard. I never will forget it as long as I live. It was just the best sound. And uh, I've always kept that inside me. And then I come along, and here come my father teaching me songs that he and his brothers and sisters used to sing. And when we started singing, Pop was teaching us these songs. We started singing. People thought we were old folk. They thought we were old <laughs> really? people because we were singing the old-time religion, the mm -hmm. old songs. Mm -hmm. right, right. And... That song that he taught us, the very first song he taught us, sitting on that floor in a circle, was Will the Circle Be Unbroken? That was the very first song he taught us. And I sang it the other day down in Mississippi. I was amazed. The governor, and my manager said, Mavis, the governor of Mississippi wants to call you. I said, the governor of Mississippi? He wants to call me? Are you sure? He said, yes, he wants to call you. He wants you to come down there and give you an award. So he did call, and we went down, my, Yvonne and I, we went to the governor's mansion. We sang for Kennedy, Carter, Clinton, you know, but I'd never had any inkling of a governor from Mississippi. Mississippi, see, that's what I'm talking about, <laughs> would call me on the phone and say, Miss Staples, we want you to come down here. We want, and I know your music, I've listened to, he mentioned I'll take you there, and you know, so, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a brand new day in in many instances, but it's still I recorded the songs that I recorded because there's still a lot of bigotry and injustice. Mm -hmm. You know, pops used to tell the songwriters, if you want to write for the Staples, read the headlines, and we want to sing about what's happening in the world today. Well, that's very evident from your uh, wide and extensive body of work that has resonated across the United States for many, many years and decades for that matter. I was also curious what it was like to work with uh, another person involved in the civil rights movement and produce this television show that you were on many times, Jubilee Showcase, and also happened to be my father, Sid Ordauer. He meant a lot to us as black people because he seemed to really care about us, genuinely care about. You could feel him. You know, you could feel him. And, and, and um, 
we would do anything for Sid. You know, because, and, and Pops, I, I hate that I didn't talk to him more. But I was a kid. I was, you know, he would talk to Pops all the time. <laughs> you know? He talked to my father. But uh, I just marveled when I saw Sid O'Dara come around. And, and when he started that Jubilee Showcase, he did so much for the gospel singers. Gospel couldn't be heard. You know, you, if you wanted to hear some gospel on the radio, you'd have to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, that's when gospel was played, except for maybe on Sundays you'd hear some later in the early part of the, the morning. But, but uh, and then to put us on television. Now, that was huge. That was huge. And he, I'm going to tell you, your father, with his television show, Jubilee Showcase, he contributed so much to us, the staple singers, to, to things that happened to us in our lives from us being on that television show. I'm just so happy that I had the chance to know him, to know him, you know, because it's, 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 there, there'll only be one. Yeah, he kind of broke the mold. Well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate your kind words. I'm also curious to, to know what you thought motivated him to do the work that he embarked upon all those years ago with his diligent work in the civil rights movement and crossing all of those social boundaries as a white Jewish man to bring primarily African-American gospel music to the public. You know, he was just real. He was just real. There was no color uh, uh, um, with him, you know, and, and he felt what we were doing. He liked gospel music. He wasn't just doing it to be doing it. He liked the music. And every time... Uh, uh, somewhat we would go on, he'd have a different idea. Pops, why don't you and the girls sing with this one, with these over here? And why don't, you know, he would start putting groups together to sing with each other, you know? And uh, I tell you, when, when, um, when it stopped, we couldn't understand Jubilee Showcase, you know, because we thought it was going to last forever. And that was our prize. We were talking about keep your eye on the prize. That was our prize. And my mother, she would be so glad to see us singing on television. And I was in school. The kids would be, oh, I saw you. You were on television Sunday morning. Thanks to see it all Dara was. The staple singers are fast becoming a musical institution. And it's a great joy for us to see them rise to such great heights of musical fame. No matter where they perform, in the great concert halls, or at colleges and universities, on the national and international television programs, or in the churches from which they came. They are a devoted family singing the songs of the people. And here they are with a song which expresses a folk dimension to their music, the great staple singers and gotta be some changes made. There's trouble all over this world. Confusion is everywhere. But I'm looking for the day when there'll be nothing but love and happiness everywhere. But it's got to be some changes, got to be some changes made. You know we gotta make a change somewhere. Yes, we have got to be some changes made. I said we gotta make a change somewhere. So uh, I heard Jubilee Showcase was really church before church, so to speak. It was a real institution, and the level of musicianship on the show was quite high. Oh, man. We would, the singers, we would meet up, and 
There might be the caravans there, the soul stirrers, the blind boys, naturally the Northfleet brothers, the Northfleet brothers. How do you do? I'm your host, Sid Ordauer, and welcome to Jubilee Showcase, the program featuring songs truly American, the spiritual gospel Jubilee songs, great music, which both entertains and inspires. And now here is a group that's been with us ever since Jubilee Showcase began, with their own unique Jubilee style, the Norfleet Brothers and their theme song of Shadrach. There was three children from the land of Israel, Shadrach, And my father, we love the sound. <laughs> and and um, um, it was like a big family reunion. It was always like a, a family reunion when you go down there because everybody we knew, every all of the gospel singers. And uh, there wasn't, wasn't a time that you'd go that you didn't know. Even people like Willie Dixon, the old blues man, he would be down there. And he was just playing for everybody. So one time we went, and you know, Pops, we sang with just my father's guitar for years. And so we were singing and uh, we were rehearsing. So Willie Dixon came over to Pops, he said, hey, State, he said, you need a little bottom on that. And he took his big, big uh, stand-up upright bass guitar and Pops said, play it for us and play it. Yes, Willie Dixon did appear on Jubilee Showcase more than once, including with your family, and sang on several songs, among them, why am I treated so bad and pray on my child? Oh man, I'll never forget. I'll never forget those days. The, the, the singers were so anxious and we would sit and wait our turn. <laughs> you know, we'd sit and, and then it came to a point where Sid decided, let's have it more like church. Everybody be seen at the same time and clap for everybody, you know, while they're singing. But I always thought maybe Sid was going to preach. You know, we, I said, maybe he's, but he never, he never preached. He would speak like a minister, but he never did. I, I think Pop started calling, hey, Rev. Oh, really? Hey, Rev. And, and uh, he would answer to it. Now is a great time to be alive. Discoveries that have taken place within our lifetime are both wonderful and terrifying. The possibilities of what man can yet do seem unlimited. But the value of these new discoveries depends upon how they are used, for good or for evil, to heal or to hurt, to help or to hinder. And how we respond will depend upon how strong is the desire within us to serve, whether our love for others is greater than our fear for others, and whether we are willing to place sacrifice above self in order to help others, and are willing to give for the sake of the welfare of all. There is great power within us, and this power can be committed to the highest ideals and spiritual values in order to use these great new discoveries for justice, for world peace, and for a better life for all humanity. Well, I'm not surprised at that. It, 
he did have a lot of reverend-like qualities, which was probably why he was interested and attracted to gospel music in general and some other musical artists of substance, you know, including a lot of the ones that you worked with, such as Ry Cooter and Bob Dylan. I'm also interested to know what it was like working with one of the most notable and prolific artists of our age, that being Prince. Oh, working with Prince was just a joy, just a joy, just just fun, you know. Uh, when I first went with Prince, Prince called, and they always get pops when uh, they're looking for me, you know. So pops called and said, Mavis, a Prince is looking for you. Prince, I said, what Prince, Daddy? I said, I don't know no Prince. <laughs> he said, girl, the one they call Purple. I said, oh, no, not Prince, you know. I couldn't believe it. And uh, I said, what does he want with me? He said, Mavis, call the man and see what they want. So the next morning, I called. He was Prince's manager. Yes, Miss Staples, he wants to sign you to his label. He wants to record you. He wants to write for you. And right then, I said, well, well, what would Prince write for me? You know, I've heard Vanity and Apollonia. And I can't sing that stuff that they're singing. <laughs> That's teeny bopper, you know, oh, you nasty boy. I said, I can't sing that. I said, I'm a grown woman, and I need a song with substance, you know. He said, uh, well, he's very much aware of the nature of your talent, and he will be writing adult contemporary songs for you. So I meet Prince. He come out to our concert in California, and uh, I had told my sisters, I said, everybody's talking about this little guy. I said, I'm going to be really cool when I meet him. And... I tell you, he walked up towards me, had on a white suit, white boots, white hat, loose cane, and cool went out the window. I screamed just like the kids. I was all pressed, you know. And, uh, but he wouldn't talk to me. He came back in the dressing room. I'm doing all the talking. And he's just standing there rolling his big eyes. He's very shy, painfully shy. So I said, well... He, Pop spoke to him. Pop said, young man, it's mighty nice for you to come out here and meet Mavis tonight. And um, he just told Pop, he said, you can play. And he would give me one and two word answers. So I said, I'm going to make him talk. I asked him, I said, how's the new Paisley Park? You'll see. So I went back to the hotel. I said, now how is he going to write for me if we can't communicate? So I started writing this kid letters. I would write 13 and 14 page legal pad letters. I let him into my, I, I started from when I was a child. I told him, because I wanted him to know me, you know, if he's going to write for me. And uh, lo and behold, the songs that he wrote for me was a lot out of my letters. You know, I would tell him how when I was a little girl, I couldn't wait for Sunday. <clears throat> I love for my mother to let me put on my cute little dresses, little patent leather shoes, and go to Sunday school. He wrote a song called Blood is Thicker Than Time, and actually a tribute to my family. And the song is, uh, we went to church on Sunday morning, all dressed up looking mighty fine. Went to church on Sunday morning, all dressed up looking mighty fine. The spirit came without a warning, intoxicating us all like wine. Don't it make you stop and wonder why we kill our own kind every day? Why can't we get along with each other when we're damn well know it's the only way? Sure, it's 
This is this is me telling him, and and just just different things in the different songs. I would say things like, um, "Get your house in water." He wrote me a song called "Get Your House in Order." I told him I married an undertaker. He wrote me a song called "The Undertaker," but the undertaker was a bad man. Undertaker was crack, cocaine, and drugs. And don't go to you might never come back. Here comes the undertaker. You're going to see the undertaker if you do these things, you know. Don't go with the cracker. Mm. Might never come back. Believe I'll say that again. Don't go with the cracker. Don't go with the cracker. You might never come back. Might never come back. He wrote me some very good message songs, songs that that um, that I've been singing, but Prince message songs. Did you talk about religion ever? Oh, yes. Prince, and, and see, Pops even said, Mavis, he, he had in one of his songs, Cain and Abel, as sure as Moses' step parted the water, as sure as Cain had to pay for his crimes. And Pops and Mavis, what does young, what do you know about Cain and Abel? And Moses, I said, Daddy, one of his favorite books is the Bible. He's very knowledgeable as far as the Bible's concerned. And um, so we would talk and I would write him, well see, he wouldn't talk to me a whole lot. He would talk to Yvonne. <laughs> so I would still have to write letters. I would write letters about things that I felt that he needed to know as far as doing good and doing bad. I, I let him know that he needed to start talking because people, see, and he wouldn't talk. That's why people would write so much bad about him because he wouldn't do interviews. So the writers would write bad stuff about him. When I first got with him, they'd ask, what are you doing with him? What are you doing with this guy? You know, I said, I'm with him to make music. Well, getting back to the laundry list of incredibly talented people that you've collaborated with, could you touch on your experience working with Bob Dylan? Yeah, Bob Dylan, genius, world's greatest poet. And uh, we met Dylan back in the early 60s. We were, see, because the folk festivals had started calling the staple singers. They, 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 we were singing on folk festivals. We were singing jazz festivals. Our music, our sound was so unique. We, they would call us to, to all kinds of uh, uh, festivals and, and concerts, you know. Well, this was a folk festival. This was a television show for Westinghouse. And uh, Bob Dylan was on the television show. His manager came over, brought him over. He said, I want you to meet the Staple Singers. And he said, I know the Staple Singers. He said, I've been listening to the Staple Singers since I was 12 years old. And uh, he started singing some of our songs quoting the, the lyrics, and Pop said, how you know us? And uh, he said, well, I listened to Randy. And Randy was a, a station that came out of Nashville, a 50,000-watt station that came out of Nashville, and everybody could get it. We would listen to Randy all of, while we were driving at night, you know. <clears throat> and and we, we talked more. Then the, when the television show started, Dylan, because we didn't know him, he started singing this song. 
And Pop said, wait a minute, y'all. Listen to what this kid is saying. He said, listen. He said, we can sing that song. He was singing, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Mm -hmm. And Pops felt so related to it because he was saying, how many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? And Pops used to tell us stories about being in Mississippi. If he was walking on the side of the street and a white person was coming down towards him on the same side of the street, he'd have to cross over. You know that my friend So he could relate to that song. And um, I mean, we came home and we rehearsed it and recorded Blowing in the Wind. Right then, then we started listening to more Dylan. And we ended up recording at least six or seven Dylan tunes. Must one man have before he people cry? And it makes me think of gospel's profound influence on the mainstream musical landscape to this day. We hear such wonderful artists that have come directly out of the church, in addition to yourself. We, uh, we hear the wonderful music from Jennifer Hudson. Uh, Ray Charles left an incredible mark. Aretha Franklin, Patti LaBelle, and also other mainstream artists that have utilized the gospel sound in their music, such as Eric Clapton and Carlos Santana. Can you speak to gospel's influence on popular music? I think that it's great. I think, you know, people, uh, just like um, when people wanted to put us out of church for singing I'll Take You There, you know, I I just, uh, um, I would have to tell, they said the stable singers are singing the devil's music. You know, we had to do so many interviews letting them know that the devil ain't got no music. Mm. You know, all music is God's music. And if it's clean music, if it's garbage, it's garbage. But music, you know, uh, music is that water out there, the, the, the birds, the leaves, you know, the wind. And, and, and uh, the songs we sing, you can't judge. Like I say, people have in their hearts... What they, you know, if they want to sing a gospel song, sing it. Aretha, when Aretha, Aretha started out singing gospel, then she went to Mm R&B. Her father encouraged her. Reverend Franklin was one of the greatest ministers you could have met. But he encouraged Aretha to sing what she wanted to sing. I think it's wonderful. I think, you know, you praise him. Praise God. Uh, um, Be grateful that you're still here, and that you still have a voice to sing, whatever. You know, you, you, don't, you don't judge people for what they do. You know, just you don't know what's in their heart. And um, people think I came out of the, I, I was in church, but 
Most singers come out of the choir. I didn't ever get a chance to sing in the choir. I wanted to sing in the choir, but I was too little. Well, that doesn't really surprise me much, given the distinctiveness of your voice and the range that you have. But I just wanted to touch on very briefly your father's influence on the musical landscape in this country, particularly with the blues. Well, see, Pops, Pops, uh, we, we used to wonder why all the blues guys were so crazy about Pops. You know, and like I say, they, we were invited to blues festivals, jazz festivals, folk festivals, and but the blues guys, B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, uh, Albert King, all of the... Uh, Muddy Waters, Pop sang at Muddy Waters' funeral. Donnie Hooker. <laughs> they were all so crazy about Pops, you know. Dockery's Farm, down in Mississippi. Howlin' Wolf was there, and Charlie Patton was there. Pop was a young boy, and um, they were grown. And so Charlie Patton would play his guitar. This is when Pops decided he wanted to play guitar. And he went to a hardware store, put him this little guitar in the layaway, and uh, taught himself, but he taught himself the way Charlie Patton played. So all the years we've been singing gospel, Pop was playing blues on his guitar. So we didn't know it. That's why Pop, they gave Pop a Grammy Award for traditional blues. And man, that set Pops on fire. He didn't like it. He didn't like that at all. He told me, he said, I'm a gospel singer. I'm a go-. He wanted to give it back. And we told him, we said, Daddy, you can't do that. You can't give it back. Just keep it. Just keep it, because it's written on the Grammy. Traditional blues. His licks on the guitar. They're blues licks. And I've always said that blues and gospel are first cousins. They do the same thing for people, you know. The blues, if you got a guy singing the blues, oh, my baby, <laughs> you know, you got somebody sitting out in that club, got the blues, they think that they're singing directly to them. Makes them feel better. And in church, if you're singing, Help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, Lord, we're down here in the sinful world. No one can help us. Help me, Lord 
And the people in the church, they just know you're singing straight. I need you to help me, Lord, help me, you know. Pop said, just wrote it. So that's why I feel like blues and gospel are first cousins. No doubt about it. And Help Me Jesus is on one of the Jubilee showcases, too. Well, there's always been a direct relationship among the musicians of blues and gospel music with some of the musicians playing in both genres, as in Willie Dixon, who played with you on Jubilee Showcase. And I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit about the significance of the Jubilee Showcase television program and why it's important to tell this story. Young black people need to know where they come from. I think it's important to preserve the Jubilee Showcase because it's, it's history. It's a part of black history. It's, it's songs of black gospel singers singing that this generation have never seen, don't know anything about, and they need to know their black history. There's a train that runs from west to glory. And nobody can ride this train but the righteous and the holy. And people, there's a man that's going around taking names. And when that day comes, you gotta ride this train. Yeah. This train is a bound for glory. This train, this train, you know it's bound for glory. This train, this train, you know it's bound for glory. None gonna ride it but the righteous and the holy. This train, you know it's bound for glory. This train. Join us next time when I sit down with the legendary civil rights activist minister and politician Reverend Jesse L. Jackson Sr. who founded the Rainbow Push Coalition, People United to Serve Humanity. Over the past 40 years he has played a pivotal role in virtually every movement from empowerment, peace, civil rights, gender equality, and economic and social justice. As part of an ongoing series of interviews conducted for a documentary about the gospel music television program Jubilee Showcase, we talk about the civil rights movement along with gospel music's role in it and the evolution of this musical genre. You don't want to miss it. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review so more people can hear about us, and share about Rhythm of Life on social media and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Ordauer. This has been a Rhythm and Light production.